Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, wrote, he said, the kind of outsiders that Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches or even the most avant-garde ones, in other words, most innovative ones. He says, that can only mean one thing, that if the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. And that just bothers me at my core because I actually believe it's true. In other words, lost people, disconnected people, spiritually speaking people have always been drawn to Jesus. And if we are his representatives, why aren't they attracted to us, his church? See, this isn't about religion and it's not about going to church. This is about knowing and following Jesus. See, when people encounter us as Christians, they should also encounter Jesus. So the question is, why aren't they? Why are young adults ages 23 through 30 dropping out of the church at a rate of 70%? Why is it that 86% of unchurched people do not see anything spiritually necessary about the church? And guess what? We're the church which means unchurched people are not seeing anything spiritually compelling about our lives as it pertains to Jesus. See, when in reality, we should be living these irresistible and influential lives that point to who Jesus is, which begs the question, do we really know who Jesus is? See, Jesus asked the questions to his disciples in Matthew 16. He says, who do you say that I am? Is he just a figurine on a cross? Is he just a religious figure that taught about love and peace? Is he just a good luck charm? Or is he who he says he is? What do you say that Jesus is? And here's another question you have to wrestle with. When life is painful or things aren't going the way that you want, does that change how you answer Jesus's question? Who do you say that I am? So your answer is, Jesus is, you fill in the blank. I'm Bree Orozco. I am a worship leader here at SciLife. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, and this is my journey to believing Jesus really is who he says he is. I was raised as a pastor's daughter and I knew a lot about Jesus and I had scripture memorized and all of that but um, I didn't really fall in love with him until I was a senior in high school and my parents always challenged me to make my faith my own um, so they kind of allowed me to have my own prodigal son journey I felt like because of my dad's job that it wasn't really a choice for me that that's what I had to choose and I definitely did have some pain from the church and just being in the role that I was because of the role my dad was in. But I really struggled to fully surrender my life to him and I just wanted to do what I wanted to do and find him for my own self and not just because that's what my parents wanted from me. I fell in love at 18. I was engaged at 19 and married at 20 my husband Isaiah and shortly after that we decided we wanted to start having kids so we tried and for 
um, 10 months, we had no luck. And then finally we got pregnant and celebrated for a day. And the next day we ended up miscarrying and it was super devastating, obviously. And I questioned a lot why a good God would allow such a just sad, painful loss. But the very next month we were pregnant again and it was our very first daughter, Willow Praise. We were super excited to have a second. So we started and about six months in, we um, got pregnant and after a couple weeks of celebrating with close friends and family, we ended up losing that baby too. And it was one of the most painful seasons in my life and it was as if all of the pain and the trauma of our first loss and all the questions I had of who God was resurfaced and it was like a double whammy and just questioning God all over again like just how could he allow this to happen and um, I really felt like as I reflected that having Willow having a healthy child really just put a band-aid over all those questions I had of God and was like because I got what I wanted he was good again but as soon as things weren't the way I wanted I questioned who he was so three months after we had lost that second pregnancy we got pregnant again and we lost that baby also the anger I was in and the pain that we were feeling was almost unbearable to the point where I would stand in church with my lips literally sealed because I couldn't even pretend to worship and sing songs like he'll never fail me yet because I felt like he really had failed me. I feel like I really had to grieve the loss of what I thought would be the case for my life or the timeline that I had in mind. I knew Jesus hadn't left me, and I spoke to him often, but it was as if I was in the wilderness wondering and questioning who Jesus really was. See, it's in the wilderness that we often get a better understanding of who Jesus is. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history. See, if you go back to the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God sent Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for 430 years. And throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would look back on this exodus of crossing the Red Sea as this historic moment of salvation for their people. And throughout time, the Jews would look back to this exodus in much the same way as that we do as Christians, that we look back to the crucifixion both events being seen as the moment when God's faithfulness invaded human history. It was his promise of salvation. And this promise of salvation came through the wilderness, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. God was promising a deliverer and he gave them Moses who led them out of slavery. But before entering into the promised land, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience and their lack of faithfulness to God. See, Moses and that generation of Israelites didn't get to go into the promised land. They died because of their rebellious hearts. But God still kept his promise and Joshua leads that next generation across the Jordan River into Canaan, which is known as 
the promised land. And when Israel obeyed and followed God, they experienced the blessings of obedience and all that the promised land had to offer. But most of the Old Testament, we see Israel turning their backs on God, experiencing the repercussions of their sinful choices. And they find themselves praying and constantly waiting to be delivered again. And so by the end of the Old Testament, the land of promise has now become the land of persecution. And as the New Testament opens, the promised land is now under the rule and the occupation of the Roman Empire. And there's no longer an autonomous nation of Israel. They're they are just sitting there longing for God to intervene and deliver them once again. And their expectation was that their promise of deliverance would occur in the wilderness, in the Jordan River Valley, to be exact the same place where God had brought them ages before in the days of Moses and Joshua. And so what happens is that there would be groups of Jews that would go out to the wilderness away from the Romans and form these, these little armies and these communes awaiting the deliverer or this, the, the, the Messiah, hoping that they would come and the Messiah would rescue them from the Roman oppression and reestablish the nation of Israel as the ruler of the promised land. And of course, eventually there'd be a skirmish and every would-be Messiah or every military leader hoping to pave the way for the Messiah would end up dead. And this would happen over and over and over again. But it would always go down in the wilderness. And you have to ask, why? Why is the wilderness so significant? I want you to listen to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse three says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I want you to drop down to verse nine. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. See, conventional thinking of that time was, if you want God to fix things and rescue you, then you'd better go out into the wilderness. Now, I want you to fast forward to the time that Jesus is in his late 20s and his early 30s, and he has this... <laughs> this eccentric cousin, John, who spent all kinds of time in the wilderness because his expectation was as that's where the Messiah would come in from. So as his cousin, John, spent time in the Jordan River Valley, he didn't start a commune. He didn't start looking for angry guys with swords that wanted to conspire against the Romans. But instead, he put his camel fur on, he stood in the river and he started baptizing people who shared the same expectation. And this baptism that John gave was an outward sign of repentance. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but John, in essence, was recreating the Exodus. People were crossing this water to be baptized by John to freedom, but it was spiritual freedom. And what's really cool is he did it in the same Jordan River that divided the wilderness to the promised land. And here is, here is John's message. 
God is about to do this new thing. God's about to bring his deliverer. Turn away from every other seeking thing that you are for God and his kingdom because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not someday, but now. In fact, I want you to look now at Mark chapter one. I wanna read a few verses. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, just what we read earlier, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt in his waist, around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. Now drop down to verse 12 and I want you to listen closely because Jesus goes to the wilderness. He says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now don't miss this, don't miss this. You have this cricket-eating prophet John, and you have his carpenter cousin Jesus, who's supposed to be the fulfillment of God's promise that he made hundreds of years earlier to his children. The problem was the way this promise was being fulfilled looked very different than the way the people were expecting. See, the Romans pretty much owned them and their land. Their religious and political leaders were, in, were, were corrupt and cahoots with, with, with you know, those who were in power in Rome. They expected a Messiah who would wipe out the Romans and deliver them. They believed in God and were trying to stay faithful to the law of Moses, but they kept wondering if God loves us so much, why is there a pagan emperor in charge of the land that God promised to us? And then comes some guy from the local area with his kooky cousin who dunks him in a river and then says, good news, the kingdom's here. I mean, come on. Wouldn't you be inclined to say, seriously? Like, you're the answer? I mean, like, where's your sword? If you're, if you're the king, where's your sword? If you're a king, where's your army? Where's your kingdom? I mean, this is, is this all you've got? See, you and I can struggle with God just like the Israelites did because at times it doesn't even seem like God is paying attention. It doesn't even seem sometimes like he even cares because he doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should or in the time frame that we've given him. But let me tell you, here's what I've learned over the years about God. He always keeps his promises. 
but it doesn't always look the way I think it should. But he will always do it in his perfect timing. In the days and weeks following our third loss, God really met us in our pain and we remained faithful to spend time with him and open his words even though we barely had any words to say to him other than why. God was beginning to heal our hearts. He was just really showing us his heart for us and he was just remaining faithful to us in other areas of our lives that were just proving to us that he was trustworthy even though we didn't have what we wanted at that time. One morning, as we were having our quiet times, Isaiah was reading Psalm 139, and it's a passage where David talks about being woven together in your mother's womb. And we weren't pregnant at the time, but God really pressed on Isaiah's heart that we would have another little girl and her name would be woven. A few months later, we found out we were pregnant again, and we were equal parts excited and fearful. I was really trying to self-protect my heart as if maybe that would keep another loss from hurting as badly as the others. So after a couple days of things looking like they were going okay, we decided that we would share it with my family. And the night before, as we were getting things prepared to have Willow wear a big sister shirt and reveal to my family, I started bleeding. And I literally fell to my knees and screamed out to God, why? I had no other words to utter out of my mouth other than why. And I just begged him to please spare this baby's life. So we went to bed truly traumatized, even though we knew there was a chance. It didn't take away from the shock all over again. So when we went to my parents' house the next morning to share with them, we were in a very somber state, and though we wanted to celebrate, we knew the likelihood of losing this baby was huge for us. So my family gathered around me and laid hands on Isaiah and I and just prayed for a miracle. And looking back, we truly believe that in that moment, God literally closed my womb and did a miracle that day. The weeks went on and I never stopped holding my breath, but each week I felt God just so near to me and I just continued to give my anxiety over to Him and just had to make a daily choice to trust Him. When we found out that our baby was another girl, we immediately were just reminded how trustworthy God's voice is and of what God placed on Isaiah's heart to call her woven. Throughout my whole pregnancy, God just continued to remind us of his promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's always going to be good. He's There's always hope. Even if we never had another child, God would still have been good and there still would have been hope for us. But he decided to give us the gift of our daughter Woven. Our journey through the wilderness of grief and questioning who God was and why he allows things like this to happen led us to being more confident than ever that he is who he says he is. 
So we named our daughter Woven Promise as a reminder to us that God keeps His promises. And even if we never got what we wanted, He, he would have never left us. And that was His promise to us all along. See, each one of us has our own wilderness experience. And God promises to be with us through it and deliver us from it, just like he did for the Israelites. His promised deliverer is Jesus. And we can reject him just like the Israelites did because all we can see are our difficult circumstances. All we can see are our painful situations. We think God should answer our prayers a certain way and do certain things the way we think he should because we've been obedient or, or because we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. And when God doesn't do what we want him to, we get upset with him because he didn't do what I wanted. As if he's my personal little genie who serves at my request. And what we have to learn is that God is always going to keep his promise to save you and to give you eternal life and to be with you and not forsake you. But remember, it might look different than what you expected, just like it did when he sent Jesus to us. I want you to listen carefully because we have a tendency to think that keeping the law and listening to the prophets of the Old Testament was like plan A and Jesus was plan B as if God made a mistake or something. Hear me, Jesus was always the focus. All of the Old Testament was pointing to a promised deliverer, a promised savior, and God kept his promise by sending Jesus. See, the law of the Old Testament tells me I've sinned and I need forgiven. And Jesus says, I know, I'll do that. The prophets say that, that we are like sheep who have gone astray. We are unfaithful to God. And Jesus says, I know, and I'll save you from that. And Jesus kept trying to show them that he was the promised one. I've come to rescue you. I've come to save you and bring you to the ultimate promised land. And you know what this should do for every single one of us. It, 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 it should elicit hope. Jesus is the promise of our salvation, both in his death and his resurrection, like we looked last week. It's by his death that he fulfills his promise to pay for our sins. And it's through his resurrection that he fulfills his promise of eternal life because he now has the power over death. He promises that one day we'll be given a new body where there'll be no more pain, no more trouble. No more grieving, no more cancer, no more addictions, no more abuse, no more adultery, no more global warming, no more coronavirus. Isn't that a hope we're celebrating? Isn't that a promise we're desperately clinging to in the face of all that life brings us? See, this world, this wilderness, if you will, that we live in is definitely circling the drain. And our bodies are indeed winding down. That's why our hope can't be in this broken world of disappointment and hurt and pain, but our hope for love and joy and peace and eternal life can only be found in Jesus, the promised one. So let me ask you, who do you say 
that Jesus is. Because to me, Jesus is my promise. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you reveal both in the Old Testament and the New Testament who you are. That you didn't leave it up to our circumstances and our inability to work through our own emotion when things are hard and difficult to define you. You've already defined who you are based on your character, based on your faithfulness, based on your goodness. And God, I am so grateful that you are a God who keeps his promises, that, that you just don't have good intentions, but then don't follow through. No, that, that you say what you're gonna do and then you do it. And your fulfillment of that has been in the person of Jesus. He's fulfilled every single promise. And he's made available this relationship that we can have with you. And so if you're in your living room or you're listening to this in your room, wherever you might be, right where you are, if you want the promise of eternal life, it's been made available through Jesus as we looked at last week on the cross and the resurrection from the grave. So you just, you tell God right now, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin has severed my relationship with you, but through Jesus going to the cross and raising from the grave, you've made it available for me to be reconciled, brought back into relationship with God. God, I'm choosing to come into this relationship. I'm asking you to save me from my sin. Wipe my slate clean. I wanna be your child. My trust and faith is totally in you and you alone. And so Lord, for, for those who maybe for the first time have given their lives to you today, have accepted Christ today, and for those that, of us who have accepted Christ maybe years earlier, that we would live today with the hope of knowing that Jesus really is the promised one. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for being faithful to always keep your promises. We love you so much in Jesus' name, amen.